Our scripture lesson comes from Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13, hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest, and the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease." When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look, and if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and if there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin, so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has all turned white, and he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. If there is in the skin of one's body a boil, and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish-white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest." And the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin, and its hair has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease that has broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it, and there is no white hair in it, and it is not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall shut him up seven days, and if it spreads in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a disease." But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or when the body has a burn on its skin, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish white or white, the priest shall examine it, and if the hair in the spot has turned white and it, it appears deeper than the skin, then it is a leprous disease. It has broken out in the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease." But if the priest examines it, and there is no white hair in the spot, and it is no deeper than the skin, but has faded, the priest shall shut him up seven days, and the priest shall examine him the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. 
But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin but has faded, it is a swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is the scar of the burn. When a man or woman has a disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease, and if it appears deeper than the skin, and the hair in it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease, and it appears no deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days, and on the seventh day the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread, and there is in it no yellow hair, and the itch appears to be no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself, but the itch he shall not shave, and the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day the priest shall examine the itch, and if the itch has not spread in the skin, and appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And if the itch has spread in the skin, the, pr the priest need not seek for the yellow hair. He is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged and black hair has grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. When a man or a woman has spots on the skin of the body, white spots, the priest shall look, and if the spots on the skin of the body are of a dull white, it is leucoderma that has broken out in the skin. He is clean. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. But if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white diseased area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine him, and if the disease swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean, his disease is on his head." The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. When there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or a linen garment, in warp or woof of linen or wool, or in a skin or in anything made of skin, if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment, or in the skin, or in the warp or woof of, or in any article made of skin, it is a case of leprous disease, and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day. If the disease has spread in the garment, in the warp, or the woof, or in the skin, whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean. And he shall burn the garment, or the warp, or the woof, the wool, or the linen, or any article made of skin that is diseased. For it is a persistent leprous disease. It shall be burned in the fire. And if the priest examines, and if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the warp, or the woof, or in any article made of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed, and if the appearance of the diseased area has not changed, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether the rot is on the back or on the front." 
But if the priest examines, and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment or the skin or the warp or the woof. Then if it appears again in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease. But the garment or the warp or the woof or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you have washed it shall then be washed a second time and be clean. This is the law for the case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or the woof or in any article made of skin, to determine whether it is clean or unclean. This is the word of the Lord. Why does God give to Israel such lengthy descriptions of how to go about determining cleanness or uncleanness in the case of skin disease? Our tendency nowadays is to go straight to sort of medical concerns, but if the concern was for medical issues, there are lots of contagious diseases that aren't covered by this. So this is not particularly a matter of contagious disease. Uh, Also, when you hear the word leprosy, you may be thinking of what we, what's, you know, properly speaking, Hansen's disease, which was identified in the 19th century and described very, you know, it's a very, it's, it's a very problematic disease. It, it just didn't exist back at this time. So it's not what we now call leprosy. This is what, what the word used for leprosy here, it, it means to be struck or afflicted by God and any disease or any, any condition which disfigured the skin could be called sara'at. And, but that's where it's a question of, is this, you know, what is it that disqualifies a person from being part of the community? So th- it's also worth noting that, that when we talk about, when the scripture talks about leprosy, there's never particularly any concern for contagion in the sense that people might catch the disease. The concern is that anybody who touches a unclean person will become unclean. It's a ceremonial concern. Oh, if you touch me, it's not that you'll get the disease, it's that you'll become unclean and you won't be able to enter the worship of God. So the, it, this, is not a, this is not particularly about contagion. This is particularly about the corruption of the flesh quite literally. The, the focus is on what is visible. Uh, Israel must be clean in order to worship God and partake of the holy things. So Israel must be visibly pure. If a person has a visible disease, then he is rendered unclean and must be put out of the community. The outward and the visible corruption of the flesh symbolizes our basic problem. How can corrupt flesh come into the presence of a holy God? Leviticus is very much concerned with how the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Our sin and misery is not just, these aren't two separate problems. Our misery and our sin go together. Our problem is not just a soul problem. Our problem also reaches our bodies. And so, uh, notice also that there's there's no particular sort of medical treatment. So there's this, the, 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 it's not you go to the doctor. They, are, they 
didn't have doctors at this particular time in this particular sure in you'll have certain sorts of physicians in the in the, in the bigger cities in some places but sort of we, physicians put quotation marks around that um, but this is where you go to the priest to find this this is this is not a medical condition to be cured this is a spiritual problem this is a problem with my with my ability to come into the presence of God. And so the priest would examine you and then put you into isolation for a week and then examine you again. And if your problem didn't get worse, then you would be declared clean. It's only a temporary blemish, not a case of this leprous disease. But if it got worse over a a two-week period, then you would be declared unclean. Or, for that matter, if, if the priest might declare you clean, but then if later on it gets worse, then you go back to the priest, and the priest declares you unclean. And again, the point of all this is because God is opening a way for his people to enter his presence. But God is holy. How can humanity enter the presence of a holy God? This is part of what we, we hear in, in chapters 11 to 15. We're looking at as we just heard about how Nadab and Abihu offered strange incense before God and how they were consumed in the fire. And then God tells Aaron and his sons, your, jo- your task, your job is to, is to distinguish between the holy and the common, bet- and then within the common, between the clean and the unclean. And Israel needs to understand the distinction between the holy, that which belongs exclusively to God, and the common, that which is for human use. And the way to do that is to see that within the common, there is both the the clean, that which is eligible for holy use, and the unclean, that which is not. God's own holiness impels him to draw humanity into fellowship with himself, that we might share his holiness. Do you sometimes wonder why God doesn't just welcome everybody in? Why not just bring in them all? If God welcomes the unclean and the unholy into his presence, then one of two things must happen. Either God's holiness will be compromised, and if that happens, then you've just transformed heaven into hell because all humanity would just continue to live in a state of sin and misery, because nothing would change. So if, if you compromise God's holiness, then basically, if you think about, it would be, it'd be like living on earth the way we are now forever, and nothing ever changes. God would never actually get around to dealing with sin and misery. Or God's holiness would triumph. And when the unclean and the unholy come into his presence, they would be fried to a crisp, like Nadab and Abihu. And so our most wise and gracious Heavenly Father decided to take a thousand years to teach his people the meaning of holy and common between clean and unclean. And as I suggested at the beginning, if, if you try to understand this in terms of hygiene or contagion, that, that won't explain the, the issues that are being dealt with here. Uh, you may have noticed in verses 12 and 13 that if the disease turns a person's whole body white, then he's clean. 
And you're sort of like, um, so if he's, if he's part white and part, nor- no, part normal colored, which is more brownish in that part of the world. Uh, so if, if he's part white and part brown, then he's unclean. But if he's all white, think sort of albino sort of picture here, then he's clean. And you'd be like, okay, so if, if the disease, the more thorough the disease is, he gets back to being clean again. Which seems odd because you might say, but isn't he fully diseased? Yeah, but at least he's not mixed up anymore. He, so, it's and again, if you're thinking, oh, but he still he still might be contagious, Moses would be like, so that's not the point here. This isn't about being contagious. This is about being mixed up. The person with a skin disease is mixed up. He doesn't look right. But if the disease is so thorough that his entire body is covered, he's no longer mixed up. The point is the visible purity of the Old Testament church. And in that respect, the issue, part of the issue here is when it talks about raw flesh, this is, this is sort of bloody flesh. This is, this is where the raw, where the fle- raw flesh is, that basically flesh is, well, actually, Let's look at some case studies, because when you look at how this works out throughout the Old Testament, it helps us understand what Moses is doing here. There are, there are five basic cases of leprosy, sara'at, in the Old Testament. The first one is in Numbers 12, verse 10, where Miriam was struck with leprosy because of her grumbling against Moses and was rendered unclean for seven days. This is a helpful passage for reflecting on the relation between sin and misery, uh, leprosy, skin disease. Uh, Miriam had, had grumbled against Moses and now is rendered unclean because she's struck with, with leprosy. Leprosy is here seen as a judgment from God against sin, very specifically in her case, because one moment she's fine, and the next moment, as a very clear judgment from God, she has leprosy. She has the skin disease. In 2 Kings 5, we hear of the story of, of Naaman, the great Syrian general, and how he was a leper. Now, you'll notice that in that whole story, there's never any indication that the Syrians thought that this rendered him unfit for military service. He's their, he's their general. Uh, he, but Naaman's slave girl, who was an Israelite, told him there was a prophet in Israel who could cure him. So whatever this was, it was plainly a nuisance for him, sufficient that Naaman was willing to go seek the help of Elisha. And it's also worth noting that the cure for Naaman was to dip seven times in the Jordan River. This was the river by which Israel entered the promised land. Naaman could only be cleansed of his skin disease if he washes in the river of Israel. It's a picture of the cleansing power that flows from the river of life, the river that flows from the temple, the river that flows from the heart of Jesus. And it's also worth noting that Naaman, this Gentile, is the first to be cured of leprosy. And at the end of chapter 5, Elisha's servant Gehazi is struck with Naaman's leprosy because Gehazi was greedy and took presents from Naaman after Elisha had declined them. The Gentile is cured of his uncleanness by faith while the Israelite becomes unclean because he fails to believe God's promises. And it's only two chapters later 
in 2 Kings 7, that there are four lepers who discover the flight of the Syrian army. These lepers, these unclean who had to live outside the city, were the ones who realized that the Syrian army had fled. And as they're plundering the camp, stuffing themselves, they're like, oh, (laughs) we should probably tell the people in the city. And so they go back and announce the victory of God over the Gentiles, in contrast to when you read Second Kings 7, there's a whole lot of unbelief inside the city among the clean. So it's not just in the New Testament that lepers wind up being the first to believe. <laughs> it's, when you think about, we sometimes think about how sort of, oh, the New Testament has a different attitude. The New Testament has exactly the same attitude towards lepers in the sense of the way in which the cleansing comes and the, they, they tend to be the ones who believe, uh, although the judgment, judgment comes against, uh, leprosy comes as judgment against those who don't. Uh, so for instance, in Second Kings 15, King Azariah, otherwise known as King Uzziah, was struck by God with leprosy for his sins, forcing him to live in a separate house while his son ruled the country. Second Chronicles 26 adds that his sin was offering incense in the temple, something only the priests were supposed to do. So the sin of Uzziah is very much like Nadab and Abihu, offering incense contrary to the word of the Lord. And the result is that he is struck with leprosy, struck with uncleanness, the skin disease. Because of his sin in worship, Uzziah is rendered unfit to enter the worship of God. So when you think about how leprosy is handled in the Old Testament, you see something of how sin and misery connect. This this distinction between the clean and the unclean is all about who has access to the holy. And as we look at the various particular cases in chapter 13, this is why it's the priest who is to make these decisions. It's not a medical evaluation, but a holiness evaluation. It's a distinction between the clean and the unclean. You'll notice in cases like verses 23 or 28, there's a a boil or a burn. Okay, that's a blemish on the skin, but that doesn't render you unclean. It's not just any sort of skin problem. It's particularly skin diseases that render a person unclean. And then particularly in, 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 in verses 29 to 44, as we hear about the priest investigating itches and hair discoloration and baldness. You know, ordinary baldness does not make you unclean. Dandruff does not make you unclean. Ordinary itching. So there's a way in which ordinary processes of aging and living, that doesn't render you unclean. Rather, what makes you unclean is reflected in two of the descriptions in the stories that we just heard. With, with Miriam's leprosy, Moses pled with God not to leave her as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. This is Numbers 12.12. Do not leave her as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Think of this picture of of a a child born sort of deformed. And and likewise, with Naaman's cure, we're told in 2 Kings 5.14, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
The contrast is made between the uncleanness of leprosy and the cleanness, the, the well-ordered flesh of an infant and the disordered flesh of the unclean, of the leper. Leprosy, this leprous disease, is a sort of unformed reality, Ephraim Radner says, the shadow of an unfinished or even reversed creation. It's that raw flesh, leprous disease, is an undoing of creation. It's a returning to the barren wasteland, a returning to the tohu vabohu, the empty and barrenness of Genesis 1 before God spoke. And that's why the unclean person must dwell outside the camp. If the camp is the place that is drawing near to God, to be outside the camp is to be sent outside of the garden, is to be sent outside into the land of death, into the land of, of well, uncleanness. And the unclean person is to dress in a manner that makes clear from a distance that he's unclean. And since touching an unclean person rendered you unclean, Moses puts a certain responsibility on the unclean to protect others from their uncleanness. So the unclean person dwells alone outside the camp. Though, as, as we heard in 2 Kings 7, it appears that the unclean formed a sort of community, that these lepers would, would have their own places of living where they'd, they'd hang out together, because at least they weren't going to contaminate each other. But then in verses 47 to 59, we hear what to do when this sort of leprous disease affects garments. Now, you, now at, first, at first you might say, okay, well, uh, that's highly unlikely that the same bacteria, the same virus or whatever it is, is going to affect garment. This isn't talking about a bacteria, a virus. This is not germ theory. <laughs> when it talks about this leprous disease, Sara'at, it's about being struck by God with this disease, this uncleanness. So it's not talking about a, a single pathogen. It's talking about this thing that is affecting not just humanity, but also all of creation. As, as Calvin puts it, God has surrounded the human race with rottenness in order that everywhere our eyes should light on the punishment of sin. And Radner adds that Indeed, all of these chapters here, Leviticus 12 to 15, deals with a common theme, the precariousness, the inherent danger, the ultimate finitude and entrenched temptation to sin that is bound up with being a creature of God in, under, the, under the wrath and curse of God. That is, how can an unclean people approach a holy God? That what our, our humanity's problem is that we are all unclean. We are all under the judgment of God. How can we come into the presence of a holy God? And since the uncleanness could be transmitted from an object to a person, then it's important to eliminate any disease from the garment because anybody who touches this garment will become unclean. So if you're wearing an unclean garment, now you're unclean. Anybody who touches you becomes unclean. And this uncleanness... Again, the contagion here is not a contagion of disease, which we would call it. It's a contagion of uncleanness. It's a contagion of that now the whole community will be unable to enter the presence of God because we have all touched that which is unclean. So that's where... If, so 
they bring it to the priest. And then if, if you can get rid of the, of the contamination by washing, then the garment is cleansed. But if water doesn't work, try fire. That'll work. It's remarkable how often that sequence is used in Scripture. At first, God tries water in the flood. If that doesn't work, try fire, the final judgment. Jesus' baptism at the Jordan, and then he says afterwards that he has a baptism to undergo. I came to bring fire on the earth, and how, how I long for it to be kindled, but I have a baptism. He himself must take the fire of God's wrath first. Start with water. If water doesn't work, try fire. Indeed, when John the Baptist asked Jesus if he was the one who was to come or if he should look for another, one of the signs Jesus pointed to was that lepers are cleansed. We'll talk more about the cleansing of lepers next time. But part of the story, even that we heard from the Old Testament examples that I gave earlier, is that God is restoring the outcasts. And that story continues in our Lord Jesus, because Jesus touches the untouchable. He stops to eat at the house of Simon the leper. Now, it's quite likely that he cleansed him first, but I only say it's quite likely. We're not actually told that he did. The point is that Jesus is restoring wholeness. He is restoring cleanness. He is bringing a new creation. He is taking that which is mixed up and re-cleansing that which is unclean. Giving the wretched outcasts a home. Because the holiness of Christ is more powerful than any uncleanness. Uh, Something that you see in the life of Jesus is that here's a man who touches the unclean and What's interesting is that the Pharisees accuse him of all sorts of things. But they never say that Jesus became unclean by touching the unclean. Why not? He obviously touched that leper. (laughs) Why don't they say, Jesus is now unclean? Because the testimony of their senses was too strong for them to deny. When Jesus touched that leper, the leper became clean. So they could, they could accuse him of all sorts of other things. He does it by the power of, of Beelzebul. They could, they could accuse him of other things. But saying that touching the leper rendered Jesus unclean contradicted the testimony of their senses. They could see that leper was cleansed. The power of Christ, indeed the holiness of Christ, decontaminates that which is unclean. You see, all through the Old Testament, the power of the unclean was the, 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 the more dominant power. That which is unclean touches the clean. Okay, now we, you know, it, everything is progressively becoming unclean. And that's what the coming of Christ, Jesus explodes into the world of the unclean and everything he touches becomes clean. And if it becomes clean then it becomes eligible to enter into the worship of God. It becomes eligible to become holy. And so this is why we should not be afraid of the contamination of the world. We must live in this world while we remain not of this world. Do you believe that 
the gospel has the power to cleanse the unclean? Think about what Paul says. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, is dealing with all sorts of problems. The Corinthians have developed a sort of separatism where they're afraid that if they came in contact with sin, it might defile them. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Paul is encouraging the church to hang out with sexually immoral people, not, not people who call themselves Christians. He'll, he'll make that clear. No, they call themselves Christians. No, but, but the outright pagans, the holiness of Christ cannot be contaminated by them. The holiness of Christ decontaminates the unclean. I think of Harvey Kahn, who spent many years as a missionary in Korea, ministering to pimps and prostitutes. He would go into brothels regularly to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he got beat up many times because the pimps didn't like it when he showed up preaching Jesus. But he believed the holiness of Christ was more powerful than any uncleanness. And so he wasn't afraid to hang out with people who were sexually immoral. He was coming with the gospel of Jesus. This is obviously not saying, oh, you can go hang out with them and be like them. No, that's not what it's... But it's saying, if, when you bring Jesus, if you are following Him, if you're seeking first His kingdom, then you can live in the midst of them with the holiness of Christ because the holiness of Christ is powerful enough to decontaminate whatever you touch. You are holy in Christ. Therefore, be holy in all your contact with those around you and your holiness will rub off on them. Now, it's not the holier-than-thou attitude of you know, sort of talking down to people. It's, it's the, the holiness of, well, think about the way that Jesus engages with the unclean around him. Did Jesus ever... I mean, Jesus might come across a little condescending at times to the Pharisees. Yeah, um, he really, I mean, at times he he's, sounds almost downright rude to them. But then again, they were the ones who were the holier-than-thou club. Jesus will deal gently with those who are unclean, those who are untouchables, those who are outside the camp. Because a gracious life of holiness has a radiance that those, even those who walk in darkness cannot help but be attracted to, even if it also repulses them. But if all we ever do is hang out with Christians, then we are practically denying the power of the gospel, the power of the kingdom of God, which has brought about the new creation. Because if we are only hanging out with Christians, then we're saying that the holiness of Jesus isn't able to get into these worlds and show forth the power of God to bring the... do we really believe that the gospel of Jesus is what these people need? Well, then we need to live before them. And Jesus gets invited to their houses. He gets invited to... You know, why? They know that he's holy. He's obviously... But, but they, start, they see in Jesus that holiness doesn't mean stuck-up prigs. Holiness means those who love with God's love for those who are weak and helpless, those who 
are beat up and abandoned by a world that has no use for them. And so as we walk before the watching world, let us be careful how we speak and how we act among those around us because we need to live out the holiness of God in the way that we react and respond to those around us. But that, that holiness is not, is not off, should not be off-putting to those who are weak and helpless. It should be off-putting to those who are powerful and think they have it all together. Because the holiness of Jesus comes to the, in the midst of the, to the outcast, to those who are unclean, to those who are helpless. And we need to bring that holiness to them. So let's pray and ask God for the help to do that. Lord, help us, because we don't know how to do this well, but we see in your word that your, the power of your, your son, our Lord Jesus, the, his holiness decontaminated whatever he touched. So help us to love the way that Jesus loved, to live the way that Jesus lived, to seek to bring the good news of Jesus to those around us the way that, that our Lord Jesus touched the, the lepers and they became clean, the way that he spoke his word and those who were walking in darkness saw the light shining in their midst. Lord, help us to speak and to walk in such a way that we might show forth the good news of Jesus to those who are perishing. May they see in us and hear from us the glorious gospel of Jesus. And Father, we ask that, that you would have mercy on us in our several callings, in our, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, that as we, as we go to the store and, and talk with the, the cashiers and the people around us, may we, sh- may we show forth the, that holiness of Jesus, that love of Christ that, that radiates, that, that decontaminates whatever we touch. Help us, Lord, to, to walk in such a way that, that, that those around us might see this and hear this, that they might come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that, and, and be baptized and, and wash away their sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. May we be your witnesses in showing forth the goodness of Christ in every place we go. And help us in our homes and in our families to, to practice this with our, with our children, with our spouses, with our parents, with everybody we come in contact with, that we, might, that we might live as those who are made new by the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. For we pray in his name. Amen.